0: listening to Affect Autism, where affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through ICDL.com by using the promo code AFFECTA15. That's A-F-F-E-C-T-A-1-5. Welcome listeners and viewers. I'm Daria Brown. Welcome back to Affect Autism. This week, I have Nicole Mank, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified child life specialist in Davis, California, where she is the parent of two neurodivergent young adults. Today, we're discussing the intersection of the parenting experience and her professional world and how one shaped the other. She discovered engaging autism by Dr. Stanley Greenspan and Dr. Serena Weider when her son was seven which shaped how she parented her autistic child. Welcome, Nicole. Thank
1: you for having me.
0: Well, it's interesting because Nicole and I met a few weeks back in my course that I was teaching for the International Council on Development and Learning. It's called Be Sure, uh, a corny little acronym that I came up with, uh, supporting, understanding, respecting the expectations of parents. And through a floor time lens went through and and you were in the course and we have participation where we go in breakout rooms and people discuss the material. And talk about their experiences and I happened to end up in the breakout room with Nicole heard her story and I said, we got to get you on the podcast. So thanks so much for, for agreeing to be here.
1: (laughs) Of course, it was, it was a a great training and, um, it was my luck to be able to get to meet you in that way.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, um, I understand that you are very interested in training in floor time. You're going to attend ICDL's conference this week, and that'll be exciting. Um, I guess by the time this airs, the conference will have passed but okay we'll yes. assume that you enjoyed it very much
1: <laughs> i think that's a fair a fair thing to say so i
0: want to get to your story but just first off what what do you do as a licensed marriage and family therapist and as a certified child life specialist so just give us a little bit about what your role is
1: sure so so really the um The different hats that I wear are serving children and families. And I've been in that capacity for 25 plus years, my professional life. So as a family therapist, I work um, with children and their parents in private practice. Um, Play therapy is the modality that I use to engage with my clients. And parent education is a big piece of how I support families. Um, And as a certified child life specialist, I was in the hospital setting where most child life specialists uh, work at, I was at the UC Davis Med Center um, and have since left the hospital environment and um, plan to incorporate my child life experience, which is basically supporting the psychosocial needs of children and their parents in medical settings. And so, If you can imagine the neurodivergent cross-section with the medical world is um, a topic for another full podcast or 10. And so my hope is to share my um, information and knowledge uh, to support children as well as educate the staff that work in hospitals, which is part of what I've done.
0: Yes, I I can imagine that's a big job.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, and and just as we, as a, as parents and in the community of, of families, continue to learn more about how to be supportive, um, I think the systems that our families are in, both education and the medical world. Um, may be a few steps behind us and so um not as necessarily as driven as a parent is to make things as smooth as they can make the world for our kids so if i can help the medical community which i enjoy doing and it seems like there's receptivity then i want to do that not just for my kid but for kids but for all of them
0: i imagine that the work that you do was influenced very much by your parenting experience uh, having two neurodivergent children um yes. w- while respecting yours and their privacy tell us about your kids and yes. if you want to tell us a bit about you know what what their neurodivergence is now and then sort of go back and let us let us hear your journey from the beginning
1: <laughs> okay um so as you shared, I have a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old, um, and so uh, I had been in the world of serving children and families prior to becoming a mother, and so, um, at, like most mothers, became quickly humbled by um, the amazing beings that became that are my children, and feeling like I'm supposed to know so much more on how to support them, um, particularly my first child, whose sensory issues were quite um, intense. intense, impactful, yes. And so I went on a search to figure out, and I had inklings before my child was one, um, because I understand child development. I had reached out to my pediatrician, I reached out to Um, other parents to figure out something is not right. My son is reacting to being around other babies and almost as in having a panic response, um, with the sounds that babies make. And so that made those mommy and me situations of parenthood, uh, become really problematic. And therefore, um, it was an isolating experience of trying to understand why is it so hard for him to be in the presence of others. Uh, So after a few years and many professionals, um, I I uncovered the sensory world and sought out um, occupational therapy and found that there still wasn't enough information about how to help me potty train my son Um, If he's not getting the the signals um, between his brain and body and how can we help make the very loud world as he describes it um, tolerable for him to be able to go to the grocery store to be in the same room as his younger sister, who was on the other side of the sensory continuum and (laughs) was Um, came into this world loud and um, sensory seeking and uh, tactile uh, engagement. So I had one child that was defensive, tactile, sensory wise, very over responsive auditory system. And then I had a a daughter who three years younger was seeking input all the time. And here I am going, what? What? So um i went because of my background as a family therapist i thought i i need to go to a conference i don't know where what kind of conference but i need a conference because i'm not getting information at first i was told that my son's resistance to hand washing what by an ot was a control issue and i thought now He's, that's that doesn't fit. His difficulty putting his hands under the water to me is not control. Something else is happening, but I didn't understand it. So fast forward, I found the Sensory Processing Disorder Foundation and Lucy J. Miller. And I said to my husband, I'm flying out to this conference because this profile is the cl- closest I've gotten to helping me understand my child. And so he came with me, which was a good decision on his part. <laughs> and we went um, and felt like these are my people. These people are finally explaining my child to me without having met him. But it was finally professionals that could teach me how to help him, um, which was de- I was desperate for. So because our world had gotten quite small Preschool was really over overstimulating. Going to the grocery store, being we couldn't go to people's houses. You know, the social world got very small for what he could tolerate. So we decided to get um, him treated at the Star Center in Colorado. And so we did two summers in their intensive program. And that's where we learned about sensory processing. Autism still was not... Completely clear at that point. In fact, we got a lot of differing opinions from professionals on whether or not he fit the criteria. Back in that time, it was he was received the diagnosis of PDD-NOS, the pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, which is you know now no longer. Um, but his support needs appeared to be on the lower side. His verbal skills were really good his eye contact was very good and engaging as long as you were an adult. (laughs) If you were a child and you might make loud noises or sudden movements, all bets were off. So, um, so when we did finally get an autism label, I, I'm trying to even change my wording from using the word diagnosis. I'm really, um, trying to catch myself and shifting language around that. And because I believe in neurodiversity and want to speak more openly about brain wiring is just different um, and not the medical model of, it's a disorder. So um, nonetheless, it was at the SPD, at the STAR Center in Colorado that we learned about engaging autism. And at first I was scared of that book. The title scared me. I had worked with autistic children in my professional capacity and I wasn't seeing how it fit my child. In fact, I did um, one of my internships as an undergrad way back when was doing LOVAS behavior um, I was a behavioral aide to an autistic child using the LOVAS training method uh, with the M&Ms. And I felt like that didn't fit for me. It didn't fit how I want to engage with children. Um, my child seemed to be more confusing to professionals because of his ability to engage with adults. <laughs> um, but... I think the nuances of how he presents were not as understood back when he, you know, 2007 or so when, when um, we first were learning more about his neurodiversity.
0: So how old um, would your child have been around this time when you were at the Star Center for those
1: two summers? He was seven. He was seven.
0: And then a diagnosis came after that?
1: No, interestingly, the diagnosis came before at five. Okay. But- we were told at the star center, they didn't see it that way. They saw it as sensory processing and there was still the, you know, the still the hope at that point that SPD was going to make it into the DSM. And so this was prior to, so this was, you know, sitting with Lucy Jane Miller and her, you know, talking to parents, which was some of the most meaningful experiences I had while we were there is also the point of, who cares what it's called? It's about getting services yes. and how to access services when you're back at home in your child's school. And so, um, so embracing the term or the autism came later in his, more as he became more of a tween early adolescence, when then the gap between how he engaged with peers and his peers engaged with peers looked more pronounced in okay. different and more struggles came. Okay. And, and then I thought this is more than sensory processing. Okay. Okay. So
0: during this time, what was happening with your daughter? Who's the seeker, the sensory seeker?
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I think so much of our focus was on my son because of his fear response to the world and his anxiety that um, my daughter's adaptability made it easier to just parent and move along in the world. I had her in preschool five days a week cause she needed engagement and it was play-based. It was a parent co-op and we kept her in for an extra year because I knew she was thriving in an environment of child-led engagement so she was um, my girl that had this great preschool that had a big open yard and she spent all of her time running and riding bikes and spinning on a tire swing (laughs) for what seems like an hour Um, getting all that input and so i knew kindergarten was going to be tough she was going to be challenged to sit in uh, circle time even and uh, attend to tasks. And so um, we ended up looking for support for her. The challenges were more school based for her because of her um, anxious response. Um, and her sensory needs not being met she presented more like uh, you know the gendered approach of how little boys are where they don't want to sit still they need to move their bodies but she was also pretty compliant and um so besides needing to move she wasn't disruptive um and so she was kind of moved along it was in fifth grade finally where I, again, was seeking out professionals and saying she's struggling in a way that is, um, I know there has to be more support for her. And um, recognized, I proposed that I think it was ADHD to her pediatrician, and given that her father has ADHD. So there is the genetic component that I thought, maybe that is what part of this is um, and turned out to be accurate in that, that ADHD was part of her challenge and her sensory system was part of her challenge. And so then working with, um, understand, trying to understand better how her brain worked and how her brain body connection worked, um, was also part of what I was doing as a parent. It was, as many of us would say, you know, it becomes a full-time job with, uh, and, and now I had two children who had special needs and um, and then that became what I needed to focus on. And my work world was very secondary um, because I'm their mom.
0: Yes, I can imagine that going through all of this, it it sounds to me like you were very motivated to support and help. And you did all the research and you found all the supports you needed. But at the same time, you probably ran into some blockades and frustrations that drove you um, to drove influence into your
1: professional life. Absolutely. I think the experience of working with the systems, the educational system and even the medical system at that point. You know, when when my son got his diagnosis, the only thing they could say to me was here or here's the phone number to the regional center. And um, a photocopy of resources that I might seek out and go speak to your school about it. It was not being acknowledged as much in the medical world, which at that point, again, was he had GI issues on top of you know, and anxiety that at that point were not being recognized in the medical world as all part of um, what neurodivergent kids often struggle with. And so I, everybody was siloed. And then I'd go to the school system and the school system would say, you know, he's not disruptive. He is, if anything, hiding and quiet. Um and so his behavior wasn't warranting as much attention and I had to advocate strongly for engagement is an important part of the, of the education experience and he's challenged in how to engage. Um, and yes, he knows, you know, cognitively he, he was, the lessons of early elementary school were not hard for him, thank goodness. Because the social world and the sensory world, of just being in a classroom, was were his challenges. Let alone those weeks of drills, you know, <laughs> that every parent um, with a sensory kid, uh, you know, has to anticipate. When um, I don't know if this happens in Canada, but they do this twice a year now, a full week of drills in the schools, from the fire drill to the lockdown drill. To and I'm like talk about making the school environment again, not welcoming when it is too loud on any given day, let alone when you're practicing your drill systems. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) So the school world, you know, I had sat at an IEP table as a school counselor before becoming a parent. So I knew that process. My husband was a teacher. He knew that process. So we were shocked when we weren't met with open arms um, and with, um, with a, a collaborative spirit and found that we had to really push and advocate and educate that to a degree that I thought if parents don't already have some foundational knowledge in this, it's impossible impossible. If I have foundational knowledge and I'm hitting walls after walls, this is not a fair system. So then I would try to go to the district level and speak to what can we do for families like ours, who by the way are exhausted just for parenting purposes on a given day and don't have the reserves or often the financial capacities to hire attorneys because we're all paying privately for occupational therapy, you know, etc., etc. Um, because at that time none of that was covered, and that was met with kind of blank stares at that level as well. That, you know, some we have aides on the playground that can help. Um, or your child could just come sit in the office. That was one of their solutions. Like that would not be an appropriate accommodation for a child uh, to sit in the office for recess, but that was what was being suggested. And so then as a parent, I said, I'm sure he's not the only child. How about I volunteer at school and do something at lunch when I can twice a week. Again, just trying to fill the holes in in these systems that were lacking in understanding and resources. It's gotten a little better, I think, but I still think the systems have a long way to go. Public school system still has a long way to go. The medical system as well. Um, I think, you know, we're challenged by getting services within the Kaiser network. Um, In California, and there are a lot of limitations. So we as a family have chosen to do most things privately Sorry, what
0: what is the Kaiser?
1: Kaiser is a is an HMO model of insurance medical insurance. And so for example um, They didn't they don't have occupational therapists for children Okay when in fact when an OT um, met with my child with my child i think he was 5 at the time and asked him to skip down the hallway i i just kind of put my hand over my mouth and and was thinking that motor planning involved in skipping is <laughs> super complex and i'm learning that because i'm not an ot by trade but i would think the ot knew that but then wondered why was that problematic well <laughs> There's a lot of motor planning involved and skipping requires more than, you know, again, so can you help us? Well, no, we don't cover OT for children. Go <laughs> okay. right. we'll find it privately. Right. And, and then once you go to a place like the star foundation in Colorado and work with that group of just amazing professionals that taught us as a family, how to support, our child. Um, I thought, we, I need to help bring this back to my community because I know I'm not the only one. I know I can't find my people, but I got to find my people. So I started a parent, uh, an SPD parent connection group in town um, and, and helped facilitate that for a couple of years until, again, in the parenting world, that became more than I could keep going with. Because of my own kids' needs. So it's constantly the balance of what can I do professionally to support, help support my family. But then when the needs are high within my family, I need to do work differently. So adolescence became another time where I needed to stop working full time at the hospital because I needed to be more available since adolescence was quite is quite a journey <laughs> developmentally with two neurodivergent kiddos.
0: That's what I'm about to embark on. Um, I think my son's voice is starting to change because I don't think he has a cold and his voice was yeah. sounding extra hoarse. And I was like, oh, my
1: baby. <laughs> oh, I know. So um,
0: we're gonna have oh. to have a couple of private sessions where you walk <laughs> me through what I'm about yeah, to experience. <laughs>
1: It is hard. It is. It is. It is. You know, what parenting is, I was told, and I, I, I didn't come up with this quote. I don't know who did, but parenting is the perpetual state of letting go. Starts with, you know, in utero with birth, letting them go from inside your body. And with each stage of development, no matter how their development looks, there's this perpetual letting go. That's hard when you are in the role of being the co-regulating parent and we take more of a primary role i think than other parents have to with their children in helping the sensory system feel safe and so when they want to start to separate and individuate which is developmentally appropriate it looks and feels different And there are, I found a lot of, it's hard for a lot of professionals to understand there's a difference when you've been co-regulating as a necessity to help make the world tolerable. Mm -hmm.
0: So I think that having gone through all of that, similar to my role in facilitating uh, the parent support group for ICDL uh, on Mondays, we bring with us this experience and this empathy that we can relate with other parents, even though our experiences are all different. And how did that influence your work going forward? Because I imagine now that your kids are a little bit older, you've sort of jumped back into more of a professional role and you can really, you can really, um, see what's happening like uh, there's a few different I mean just a general question but then more specifically um the struggle that I have is once I've gone through something and I see the new parents coming in it's hard for me to place myself back in their shoes without wanting to sort of say oh don't worry do this do that then do this then do that you know this is what you're going to be thinking about uh because i forget that it took me a long time to get used to all of that you know and to sort of transform into the parent who i am now
1: right i think i think there that is really valuable and i think my training in my professional capacity of accepting people where they're at has helped me um and then my parenting experience of just complete compassion for the challenges that neurodivergent kids experience for themselves and the impact on the whole family. I feel so much compassion for the process and feel it's so important to extend as much grace as possible. because i too didn't want to hear the label of autism i too rejected that label um because was getting mixed messages about what that label meant um and so i i also teach um at sacramento state university and i teach undergrads in family studies and so i'm able to share with them i teach a class called issues in parenting and um, they get they get an earful when it comes to parents of children with special needs but I, I I share with them one of my leading points is to suspend judgment on parents I truly believe parents are doing the best that they can um, with what they know at the time and so I feel like since my kids are in more of um, they're individuating and Doing more of their own thing. And my, I have more bandwidth now professionally. So I want to then go back and say, how can I use my skill set and my background to support the, the next generation of parents coming up? Because I would have loved to have people ahead of me. And I did find some people who were living ahead of me. Um, that helped me feel like, okay, this is good to know what's coming down the pipe, because it's not what I learned in my textbooks for by any means. So um, I think then that's where I... Reconnected with ICDL and thinking about floor time and found you because of your workshop because i've been thinking more about i'd like to incorporate floor time i'd like to get trained in it to be able to offer that as um, part of my private practice as a family therapist because I do believe parents are the, are the key to supporting their kids. And so I'd like to get that training now that I feel like I'm out of the fire right now. And don't get me wrong, I feel like as a parent, never totally out of the fire of raising children because there's still, you know, the brains aren't finished, that prefrontal cortex, we still have some years to go. Um, But I have more capacity right now. So I want to share that with others. Um, and so I took your, your webinar, um, and then was, had the pleasure, pleasure of meeting you, um, and then learned about more resources, which is just, um, the beauty I think of, of the internet, you know, it's a mixed bag for me, but there's so much now available that just wasn't the case when I started on my journey. And so, um, but also as someone who seeks information, it's overwhelming. Like there's a lot out there. And and trying to figure out what does my gut say as a parent versus what all the professionals are telling me and I've been to, and then and then what does my partner think about it? And then what do we as a family want to support? And then how does my child interact with what we decide? Like it's so complex that I think it it, it requires a lot of patience and, and sensitivity to the process and there's no right way or one way. And I was desperate to find it as a parent. I, I would say, give me the prescription on what to do. I will follow it. I am so good at being a good student. <laughs> it's, and now, it is the way
0: it, it, all the parents want the answer. And I mean, right. I think humans in general are like that with yes. any struggles that we have. We wanna know you know, the
1: formula to make everything right. work. and for the best outcome. And, and yet, you know, then I would be met with, well, you're part, you know, you're part of that pioneering generation of, of being a parent now of an almost 20 year old. And, and so then I found how important it was to listen to autistic adults and that community. And I sought out support when, when I was really struggling with, um, how to parent an adolescent. Um, I sought out help from uh, autistic adults because I felt like we we view the world so different. And how do I co-regulate when I don't necessarily need to co-regulate, but that's all I know. And it's complicated.
0: Are there certain Places that you went to that you can share with parents where you heard voices from self advocates. Because I've had Kieran Rose, who's um, an incredible self advocate, theautismadvocate.com, but I'll put the link in the blog post so I, I in case I mess that up, but he offers a course yeah. called The Inside of Autism. He really um, sheds light on the whole history yeah. of autism, autism myths, yeah. and he's a wonderful yeah. resource in the United Kingdom. But um, I know there's a number of other resources here. What do you find most helpful from self-advocates? And then the second question will be, um, what about your children? Are they yet at the point where they want to be self-advocates and and go in that direction?
1: Yeah. Um, In terms of finding adults, autistic adults, um, I can't believe I'm saying this. It was Instagram. And the only reason I got on Instagram was because my child wanted to be on Instagram years back. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not I, at that point, wasn't even on Facebook, still struggling in the social media world. It's causes me anxiety. So through Instagram and, you know, nothing for us without us, that hashtag um, reached out to a couple of autistic adults that spoke on Instagram about being willing to consult um, with families, and so I reached out through Instagram, um, and had phone conversations with um, some of the folks. Also, the AANE, and that's the Asperger Autism Network, that's in the east. It's on the east coast. They have a coaching program. I'm trying to encourage um, my uh, young adult to consider. Because he, one of the pieces of advice I was given at the Star Center from another parent was, after your child turns a certain age, you know, your level of influence on what they choose for their supports drops drastically. That is so hard as a mom. (laughs) (laughs) Because I can't just sign you up. For, I can't just sign him up or her up for things, um, right? At this stage, they have to want to do it. Um, so, to that, how much do they want to advocate? I think there were different different steps in that path, um, and I think there's so much more good conversation to be had about how do you talk to your autistic child about autism, and. Uh, my child and I have had conversation. He felt he learned about it too late and and rejected it because his understanding of it was um, someone with much higher support needs than how he functioned in the world. And so it's a process of him even wanting to accept that, let alone then seek out support when there's this very real part of development that he wants to be like his peers. And, and so then how do you balance and support that too? So it it takes a lot of breathing on my part, (laughs) deep breaths. Um, I think um, for one of my kids, it's easier to advocate than the other. Um, And I recognize how important that is. And so I'm trying to help boost up the child that ch- is challenged by self-advocacy, knowing that in adulthood, just the fact that come 18, I you know, don't get to talk to the medical providers anymore was a huge adjustment as a parent to not have that line of, of communication any longer without additional consent and legal paperwork.
0: And Nicole, I feel like I have to throw out a disclaimer there, because I yes. I know that I understand what you said, but just in case someone cringed, of yes. course, you didn't mean that you would drag your child to things they didn't want to do when they no. were younger, because you, you, the way you said it, I can, as an outsider, I could okay. imagine hearing yes. that like, oh, she wants to tell her child everything to do. And now they get to yes. decide for themselves. And and now she yeah. doesn't like that. That's not what she meant.
1: <laughs> no, no, but it, but but the the process emotionally as a parent of having to let go. Yes, I think needs more oxygen in the community of parents. I think it needs more attention because it is, and thank god I have a therapist who understand, <laughs> and I've been in therapy many, many years with a parent who also has a neurodivergent child. So I'm able to get the support I need on my own process and letting my child be the adult that he is. Um, and that I can make suggestions, but that's all I can make. And giving him the dignity to make his own choices is so important. And as a mom, it's, I'm just going to, it's hard when, when (laughs) it's hard. I think that's hard for any mom or parent to, to do the step back consulting, you know, position, um, that is required as they get older. Um, and.
0: Well, we're so worried about them through all their experiences and all the challenges that they have. We're so worried that, you know, sometimes we over control every aspect yes. of their lives because we feel like we have to to protect them. And I can yes. see what you're saying. Like it, it's, and like, whatever you said at the beginning, uh, constant experience of letting go, like, I feel that yes. too. Like I had a, a yes. what felt like a toddler for eight years even though he was growing throughout that stage over right. the pandemic, he suddenly um, matured to, you yes. know, this school child I would emerge out of toddlerhood to the school child who interacted so much differently in that and that was such an adjustment for me and now going through adolescence is an adjustment again, yeah. when yes. you're just used to protecting and doing everything you can, but now you want to promote independence and agency yes. and then yeah. we need to learn how to do that right. for them. And,
1: and parents need support in letting go and like I said. Because I have a therapist, that's where I am able to get the support because I could really screw that up (laughs) just from a place of wanting to um, help direct. And we don't get to direct at 17 and 20 or we shouldn't be direct. I don't believe I think that there is room for them. And it goes back almost to the DIR model as well in that. For me, the goal in adolescence, when things got really difficult here at home, was just maintain the relationship mm-hmm. at all costs. Just maintain the relationship for what, so that we will be in each other's orbit when he des, he you know decides that pushing and pulling that happens in adolescence that feels even more pronounced when you've got a neurodivergent kid. Um, i just had that mantra for myself maintain the relationship how it, it and that guided me because th- at the end of the day that's what i want i want i want us to still have a connection i want him and my daughter to be willing to share with me their world and and that and, and it, it and it's a constant practice Yes, yes.
0: So let's, let's go there because, you know, we're hearing more and more about neurodiversity, although it's not in any way mainstream yet. And I think I mentioned this, I I mentioned this in the course I, I, um, every, every year or two, I reconnect with my graduate school advisor who, you know, I was in graduate school in the 90s, and he never heard of neurodiversity. And this is a personality psychology professor at a major university. And so I was floored, like how, you know, and I was just saying to him, like, you know, a lot of this stuff that confused me during my studies can be explained by neurodiversity, like it's the lens that we were missing in our research. And, you know, he's retired now. So it but it's just, it's amazing to me that we hear about it all the time and we we talk about it as if, you know, and Neurotribes by Steve Silberman came out yeah. what was it, seven, yeah. eight years ago or something like that, maybe ten. And yeah. you know, if we look at conferences, there and there's all of these neurodiversity affirming care right. facilities right. opening up, lots right. autistic led uh, yeah. facilities opening up, and right. it's it's certainly growing, but still not mainstream. And no, it's not.
1: Yeah. And I, I find I do some trainings. Um, I've been doing some trainings with child care staff um, at Head Start, for example, in our community or our crisis nursery that we have in our community. And I always start I ask, do you have you heard the term? And mostly no. And so um, I feel like we have to keep getting this out there because it is an important paradigm shift that really, I think, could help make our world better. If we could have an appreciation for how brains are wired differently, and there is no right or wrong. Um, And there is, you know, conformity is not the answer, but connection is the most important piece. And so I do feel like there is momentum now, which is so important. And There's still a lot more to go. I don't think the medical community embraces it in the same way either. No, a lot
0: of the grants that I see coming in, in Toronto, um, getting, you know, research grants is all very much medical model model based and looking for genes and looking for medication. And, you know, while there's a place for that and might be helpful in some cases, it's still, Missing out that social support piece and
1: accommodation right. piece and
0: right. not only accommodation, but remediation in the sense of if my child is really struggling with motor planning, what can we do to help, Um, you know, and what can you know, like my son had sound therapy uh, a number of well, times
1: we did that as well
0: with um, Maude LaRue in Pennsylvania, the Tomata Sound Therapy, which helped his auditory processing. And she talked about in the, I did a podcast with her in July about the vestibular system and its impact on development. And it was such a big piece for my son. If you don't remediate some of that, those challenges are going to be, you know, carried forward. And you know, he still has lots of different challenges. I can see every day, he goes like this with his eyes. And if anyone's listening and knows what this means, because all I've heard is people say, oh, maybe his eyes are dry, try eye drops. But it seems like there's something more going on. Like he he can see, he has glasses for that he'll wear, his vision exercises, but he's always going like this. <laughs> if anyone, if yeah. people are listening on audio, I'm opening my eyes really wide and blinking and looking from side to side. Yeah. Uh, Maybe there'll be some autistics listening that will know what he's doing. But, you know, there's there's all these different supports we can put in place as well as remediation without remediation being um, curing a disorder, uh, but more, you know, helping, helping with the disability aspects.
1: Even the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in the United States, just uh, republished the milestones for um, zero to five. And just as recently as in this past year, I sat in on a call with um, someone from the CDC speaking about funding for curing autism. And I thought, and I said something, I said, you know, what about the idea of neurodiversity and what about supporting families um, with this, belief system that is different than the medical model of diagnosis cure. And this was, you know, the center for disease control, this is a major federal body uh, and and amount of people still looking at it that way. So as parents, you know, we're constantly having to figure out where to where do we stand? How do we support our child and empower them to feel like because my kids they hate the word disorder. Of course they do. It's a, ter- it's a terrible word, right? It means that, it, so how do we talk about, and so using language and trying to be mindful of language is something I'm working on actively, but I still catch myself, you know? I well, still
0: that's catch what myself. I wanted to point out to anyone listening that may have cringed to anything that either one of us said, we are yeah. both parents still learning ourselves. Yeah, and the last thing we want to do is offend anybody. And Absolutely. the last thing we want to do is say things that are offensive to anybody, but we're still learning ourselves. And and I really like the idea of um, people having compassion for parents as well, who are trying to figure it out and want to do best by their child. And I think that's why it's so important for professionals to really take uh, a stand and take responsibility for the role that they play in on yes. and the influence they have on parents because parents look to them for the answers. Like we are right. so lost and we need to hear things from professionals and so many professionals aren't taking that responsibility
1: of listening oh. to advocates. And that learning what they need to learn to be more current, right? And, and that is everything from pediatricians to nurses to you know uh, mental health professionals, the whole range of understanding there's a shift happening and it's an important one. And it's it and it is affirming, which is always the you know the better way to go. Um, and I'm continually reminded about you know how much farther we still have to go when there's an interaction with a professional who I know is still very much steeped in, oh, I'm so sorry, instead of understanding their gifts and differences and looking at it as. Um, beautifully the complexity of humanity and how much parents need that parents. You know, I think back of uh, how much, how different it would be. In fact, some other moms and I are starting a um, neurodiversity network because we have young adults now and we were supported one another when they were little and then they've grown and now they're in this post high school or almost out of high school. What now? it's a very different experience and fe- feeling like we need support again for one another and and just we talk about wouldn't it be great if it, if a parent were able to delight still in their child after learning that they are a neurodivergent child what if they still could be given you know the permission and encouraged to delight in who their child is. And it's hard because it, it, we look for what more, what can we do? What do we do? And there's the media is very strong in how that is shaped also. Um, and it can be so much better and it needs to be. So you've described yourself, Nicole, as a
0: relationship based profess professional. So, I'm assuming then that because engaging autism influenced the way you parented your neurodivergent children and you called yourself relationship based. I'm assuming that you used relationship based type of approach with your children. Or did you do ABA? You mentioned as a intern before you had children, you were doing you were a behavior aide in behavior yeah. therapy. So what was your right. role with behavior versus right. developmental approach with your kids?
1: Right. Um, we did not ever do aba with my kids particularly my son i never um it was just not something that fit with my view my view of connection um and so the relationship was always my focus and so um learning from the OTS at the star center actually on, and we worked with the psychologist out there as well, looking at, um, supporting the emotional world. It were, it was that, those professionals that helped guide how we proceeded. Um, it, it, and it was before a granted, this was, you know, early two thousands ABA was not the billion dollar industry that it is now, which, concerns me quite honestly because that is what parents are hearing mostly about and yet it's not for everyone and i am hoping that as floor time gains more traction in the insurance world and with the medical community that will become more um of an understanding of a a Fantastic option for families.
0: Uh, this is a perfect opportunity for me to point listeners, especially in California, to the DIR Coalition of California. They yes. work to promote floor time and they're advocating for floor time. They've put a number of bills into whatever it is that you guys have in your states, Congress, something, right. Senate, right? Is that, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'll put a um, link. Yes. I'll put a link to the that uh, DIR Coalition of California in the links at affectautism.com as well. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights, Nicole, and your experience. And um, I'll be eager to share in your floor time journey as you bring floor time into your practice. And um, I'll be eager to learn from you as well uh, as I go through the period of parenting and adolescent. Um, While, you know, even just things like, that we didn't get into like everyday things that come up that, you know, it even just chugging through everyday stuff, but then you have other things come up. Like I just got my bivalent vaccine or whatever. And so I know, okay, for the next 24 hours or so, my immune system is building up a response to uh, Omicron and all these (laughs) variants. So I'm going to be a little, uh, um, and how that's going to impact You know what i can do if i need to be on the ball and ready for sudden meltdowns that could happen or you know all of these kinds of things so um i think it's wonderful that parents keep sharing and supporting each other and hopefully we'll be able to connect more around this uh in the future
1: yes i would really appreciate and love that and and i think doing the journey with um with people that are part of your tribe is so important. (laughs) So thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please see the parents menu at icdl.com, the interdisciplinary council on development and learning for the virtual floor time consultations for parents. There you can schedule an appointment, look at the virtual DIR home program services, and see the weekly parent support meetings registration. We aim to help you implement the developmental individual differences relationship-based model at home, taking into account where your child is developmentally and their individual sensory processing differences within your safe and nurturing relationship to promote and support their developmental potential.